WERUFM89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and all over the world at WERU.org. A healthy choice. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, the, the, the phrase is that Maine leads, perhaps because of our state motto and maybe there's something in the water. Maine was among the first states in the nation to provide public funding for legislative campaigns. It's pioneered ranked choice voting, and other states are following. Is it now time to open up the primary process to unenrolled voters? That's the topic this morning, um, and we have some wonderful guests in the studio and by phone who can help us with that. I'm happy to welcome back to uh, WERU Jill Goldthwaite. Jill and I started this venture, I believe, in 1993, Talk of the Town. So that's a while while back. And uh, Jill has gone on to uh, be elected to the state Senate, and we'll hear more about that in a moment. Uh, Dennis Damon has joined us. He's also a former state senator. I've known Dennis for almost a, that length of time, and glad to have you back with us, Dennis. Uh, it's very good to be here, Ron. Thanks. And I believe Caitlin LaCase is um, on the phone with us. Um, she's the campaign manager for um, a group called Open Primaries Maine, and uh, maybe we'll start with her. Caitlin, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Thank you, Ron. Thank you so much for having us on today, and also want to thank Dennis and Jill for their, their leadership in this effort and, and everybody who is listening today. So, so thank you all. Tell us, a um, little, tell us a little bit about your uh, uh, interest in this and, and how you ended up being the, the manager of this particular campaign. A- absolutely. Um, so our organization, Open Primaries Maine, is on a mission to advocate for opening Maine's primary elections to unenrolled voters, uh, commonly known as independents. And we decided to launch this effort because there is already widespread support around the state to allow for unenrolled voters to participate in primary elections. We've heard this um, both, you know, anecdotally, we've heard this from folks while we've traveled around the state speaking to voters. And it's also reflected in the polls. So polling shows consistently over time that 75 to 80 percent of Maine voters support opening primaries to unenrolled voters. So this is, this is really something that people are asking for. Um, and our goal for this year, for 2019, is the passage of LD211, an act to open Maine's primaries and permit unenrolled voters to cast ballots in primary elections. 
And so that's a piece of legislation that's in front of the legislature right now. And that will, um, if, if that passes, that will ha- help make this happen. So um, tell us, um, maybe Caitlin or, or Jill or, or Dennis, how do primary elections work now? Um, how are they conducted in Maine? Um, primaries are, are led by parties, but the state conducts the election. That's true. And uh, right now on primary election day in Maine, you can register to vote right up to and including election day. But at the polls, uh, party members may not switch parties and they receive only the ballot for the party in which they're registered. Independents may register for a party on election day and then vote in that primary and must remain in the party for 90 days following the election. So they cannot cast a ballot as an independent. They can only register in a party uh, and then vote and then unenroll again if they choose to after 90 days. So what would this um, uh, LD-211 make different? Really, the only difference is that uh, an independent could appear at the polls, request one or the other of the party ballots, vote in that primary without having to register in a party. Mm. Caitlin, why is this a good idea? Well, uh, fundamentally, you know, these are taxpayer-funded elections, um, for one. So it, it, it is an issue of fairness to make sure that all registered voters can participate in, in all elections. And it's also just better for democracy to have broader participation. And around the, the country, um, well, you know, earlier you said that Maine has to lead the way. This is actually one place where we fall behind. Maine is only one of 11 states with closed primaries, with members-only primaries. And so we've seen in other states from around the country that when they allow unenrolled voters to participate, the participation, not surprisingly, when you, when you open the pool of those who are eligible to participate, the participation in primary elections goes up. And, that, and that's a positive thing. And, and uh, again, let, let's go back to the role of, of uh, uh, parties. Dennis, you um, have been a, a, a Democrat for all of your life or most of your life. What role does the party play in, in getting candidates um, to, to, to run for office and, and helping them through the primary process? Well, first of all, I, I wasn't enrolled in the Democratic Party until I got to be about 18 or 19. Okay. I guess maybe way back then it might have been 21, so it's not quite all my life. Okay. But the role of the party, of course, is uh, a candidate, a potential candidate, would uh, take out nomination papers and go through the requisite uh, number of signatures or whatever else has to be happened. And then the uh, party, in my case, the uh, most specifically the Hancock County Democrat, um, would um, provide support for the candidates without making a choice mm-hmm. um, in terms of helping coordinate the campaign, et cetera, et cetera. And then those candidates that would be uh, vying for the general election would go through the primary and the 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 voters would turn out and the Democrats would come and vote for one of us and likewise the Republicans would vote for one of their candidates. And then there is that group that, (coughs) pardon me, is uh, numbers more than a third of the registered voters in Maine who are sitting back and saying, in essence, what about us? Mm. Um, And so my... My... uh, My... um, decision, I think, to uh, help this campaign was, once I uh, more fully understood that, it's 
it is the issue of fairness. Mm -hmm. And once I also came to realize another truth, which is that it's a taxpayer-funded election, that, again, over a third of the registered voters in the state of Maine, though they have helped pay for the elections, they're denied the opportunity. And I couldn't see and still don't see why that's the case. Mm. Jill, you ran as an independent or as an unenrolled um, um, uh, candidate. What was that process like for you? Well, <laughs> um, as an unenrolled candidate, one must still qualify for the ballot, but uh, an independent does that by virtue of gathering the required number of signatures to have one's name placed on the ballot. And then the big difference, of course, is um, it's possible that both of you were in my kitchen at one point <laughs> talking about how the heck do we think we run an election because you have not the support of a party that has opportunities for helping candidates figure out what to do and how to do it. Um, you're, you're kind of doing it on your own. My own experience uh, led me to believe that there were some advantages in that because rather than appearing, uh, I'm trying to think of a that word that isn't canned, but basically a lot of political verbiage sounds very similar coming out of the parties. An independent can kind of make up their own script that reflects their opinions, and so there is a certain, I'll say, freshness to the candidacy. There are certainly some people, particularly at the national level right now, who are proving that one can attain that freshness as a party candidate or serving in office uh, within a party structure. Uh, but it does leave one both free to chart one's own path, but also kind of wandering along that path, never being quite certain of, is this going to work? So it, uh, unenrolled voters aren't a party. <laughs> they're right. they're a, a diverse group of people. How, how did you get their attention? Um, because you didn't have to run in a, in a primary. You basically had to get signatures, and then you ran in the general election. Um, so primaries are in June, general elections in, in November. Um, what's, what was your process? Well, again, it was a bit of a seat-of-the-pants process with the help of some wonderful friends. And basically, I didn't try to appeal to any particular group. I just tried to say why I was running, um, how I hope to approach both my candidacy and my service. I didn't have any particular big issues that I was running to try to solve or further, um, but rather have some appeal. And the message that resonated more than anything else was to not be a participant in a process that is seen very often in negative terms, you know, party politics and the money that's spent and so on. And believe me, in 1994, it was a, a much different environment than it is now. But still, people had concerns about those things and were very interested. Uh, independence resonates with Mainers and the fact that they were going to support somebody who was not beholden to a party was a big positive for me. Mm -hmm. the, the, there was, you mentioned that you had to uh, get signatures to be on the ballot, uh, as I did, but the number of signatures that you had to have was, if I remember, significantly larger than what I had to get. It mm -hmm. is, and I can't cite those numbers off the top, but because we, uh, an independent is not a participant in a primary election, we are required to have more signatures. Than yes, and I think substantially yes. more. Yes. So, um, Caitlin, I can tell Kate you in the in the governor's race, party candidates need four thousand signatures, and unenrolled candidates need six thousand. 
Excuse me, that's wrong. Two thousand and four thousand. Okay. Party candidates need two thousand, and unenrolled um, candidates need a, a, a at least a minimum of four thousand signatures. Mm -hmm. So, Caitlin, as you and, and others are working to um, pr promote uh, LD211, um, open election, mm -hmm. uh, uh, open primaries, um, you probably had to reach out to um, both unenrolled voters but also members of parties. What's been the experience and, and why would um, a political party uh, oppose this, this uh, um, initiative? Those are great questions. Thank you. So, one, the, the support for opening Maine's primaries to unenrolled voters is, is really fairly even across the parties when you're talking about, about voters around the state. Um, a, a poll in the fall of 2018 showed that 69% of Republicans supported, 79% of Democrats, and 80% of independents supported. So you can see that you know, a majority of folks in each who, who affiliate with each party and unenrolled um, support this effort. Uh, um, and you can see in the in the legislators who have already shown leadership on this issue uh, that there is support from uh, from all of the parties. Um, there are Democrat legislators, one in, in your neck of the woods where you all are today, uh, Representative Genevieve McDonald from Stonington has shown early leadership on this issue by co-sponsoring LD211, um, among others. She's a Democrat. Senator Justin Schnett, who's a Democrat from Saco, he has supported it. Uh, and Matt Pouliot, who's a, Senator Matt Pouliot, who's a Republican from Augusta, he has supported, along with um, a, a handful of, of independents, Representative Kent Ackley, um, uh, Representative David McCree from Fort Fairfield. Kent is from Monmouth. Representative Jeffrey Evangelos, Representative Norm Higgins, Representative Don Marion, Representative Bill Pluker, and Representative Walter Reisman. And these folks represent not just varying, um, you know, political backgrounds, or, or, but also geographic. They're also geographically diverse. There's really widespread support from this, from around the state. And, you know, one of the reasons is, is that it, people understand, just as Dennis has mentioned, that folks should be able to participate in these elections, and especially these unenrolled voters, which include, by the way, 50% of millennials and 49% of Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans. So this is a really important cohort that the parties should be wanting to, to reach uh, earlier on in the process than they are right now. And again, um, that question of, of why would someone oppose this, and, and I'm imagining yeah. that um, political party structures uh, might oppose it, but I'm not sure why. Have you been able to uncover what opposition there might be to this open primary process? Yes. Um, so I would say some concerns that we hear are peop uh, some folks are afraid that, for example, you know, somebody, a voter, this might allow for a voter to go in and vote for the person who they could see as the the least electable person in a general election that the um, trying to game the primary that's a concern that we hear and and to be honest that's one of the reasons as we were talking to folks around the state that we decided to support this version of open primaries which is really a, a semi-open primary to allow just unenrolled voters to participate but not it you know this does not allow for Republicans to cross over to the Democrat primary or vice versa. So that other states do this have not have not seen that as an issue. We understand that it is a concern, but but history and the data shows that that 
it's not um, a reality once this is implemented. So let let me just pose the the question to all all of you. So I'm an, let's say I'm an unenrolled um, voter. Um, I happen to know someone who wants to run for the legislature in my town. Um, They happen to be a member of a political party, um, but I really support them. Right now, I can't voice that support in a primary election unless I enroll in a party. Is that correct? Yes, Mm -hmm. correct. So this open primary would allow me, as an unenrolled voter, uh, to support the candidate of my choice without aligning myself with with a party. Right. And that seems to be appealing to many, many voters in Maine. Well, one of the drawbacks to me is um, having never been enrolled in a political party is you must enroll and you must stay in the party for 90 days. And the parties use that to say, look how much our party has grown. And it's really only because that's the only way I can exercise my right to participate in choosing the nominee for the general election. So it's sort of a false reflection of support for a party. It's a matter of being able to cast a vote. Mm -hmm. Caitlin, again, what... what, um, kind of measures of, of support, um, why are some of these legislators that you've been uh, listing as, as sponsors or co-sponsors, wh- why have they jumped in and said, yes, this is really important? Yeah, so so for several of the reasons that we've already mentioned, you know, they see it as um, a matter of fairness. And, and also, you know, I know I've talked to several who they they represent their constituents and they've been hearing from their constituents that they, that those constituents want this change. And their constituents want to be able to vote in the primaries, or want to be want to be able to participate earlier on. And I just I find that really refreshing and not and not surprising, knowing these needs these legislators who are showing leadership in this. Um, but it, it it is the main voters want this, and the legislators who are supporting recognize that and are trying to do right by their constituents. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns, and the question before us is, is it time to open up the main primary election process to unenrolled voters? Um, on the phone with us is Caitlin LaCase, the campaign manager for Open Primaries Maine, a campaign to, to do this, uh, former State Senator Jill Goldthwaite, um, who ran as an independent, and Dennis Damon, former State Senator from the Hancock County area, who ran as a, a d- Democrat. So, um, Jill? I, I Before we leave the subject of mischief-making in the primaries, it, it kind of amuses me because the mischief making, in my experience, tends to happen at the party level, and uh, there are all kinds of you know opposition research and all those things that go on. The average unenrolled voter is not an organized, politically organized person. They don't have conferences and conventions. They don't get together and talk about strategy. They just look for a candidate that they can support and want to vote for that person, whether they're in no party or either of the major parties or other parties that have qualified in Maine. So the idea that somehow the independents are going to band together and surge into the polls and (laughs) wreak havoc with the results is uh, highly unlikely to me. Caitlin, tell us a little bit about the next steps in this process. When would you want to um, see uh, voters learning more about this? And I think there's some opportunities to do that with some public forums. And and when might this come be um, to a vote in the legislature? Absolutely. Thank you. Great question. So we are already out there talking to voters um, and with, with a series of events. We had one in Freeport earlier this month. We have uh, two upcoming events in Hancock County. Um, one, the first is on February 12th, which is next Tuesday from 530 to 7 p.m. at the Ellsworth Public Library. And we really hope 
that any listeners who'd like more information would, would, would attend and join us there. It's open to the public. And there's another event um, in Bar Harbor on February 28th at 7 p.m. Uh, at the library there. So, and we are setting up similar events around around the state. We have an upcoming one in Bangor and another one in Bitterford that are already on the books for, for the month of February. Uh, the So the legislation, LD211, has been referenced to the Veterans and Legal Affairs Committee, which is the committee in the legislature that, that oversees such things. And there's a public hearing next Wednesday, which is February um, which is February 13th at 9.30 a.m. And so we are hoping that folks who support this effort will be there or will submit testimony ahead of time, letting their legislators, letting the uh, Veterans Legal Affairs Committee know that they support this. It's really important that people, um, who, who voters who, who think that this is important and who agree with this, that they, that they go and voice their support. They, people can also write letters to the editor or reach out to their legislators and encourage them to vote in favor of this as well. Um, the other thing I would add uh, is that people who are interested in more information or would like to see how else they might get involved, we, had, we do have a website up and people can visit that. And it's www.openprimariesmain.com. Again, that's openprimariesmain.com. And um, all of the events are also listed on our Facebook page. So those are places where people can go to find additional information. And the, uh, the process in the legislature is it's, it's heard before this particular committee. The committee yep. um, uh, votes, and, and assuming that they vote in favor, um, then it makes its way to the, to the legislature as a whole. Even if yeah, they don't vote in favor, it takes only one affirmative vote to send a bill to the floor. Okay. So um, we certainly hope that we have a much better outcome than that. But um, only only one member of the committee needs to vote in favor in order for the bill to go to the floor for a floor debate. Great. Um, so the 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 notion that um, this has got um, solid support um, that that in terms of, of the, the polls that you mentioned, Caitlin, um, mm-hmm. the, the trend that says that um, Maine, like many other states, is in, in, uh, in having an increasing number of in unenrolled voters. Um, again, it seems like this is, <laughs> this is going to be um, an easy, easy process, but it, it sounds like it's not. There's going to be some opposition. Again, do you, do you have a sense of why that opposition exists? What, what, what's getting in the way of, of moving this forward? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, you know, some people who are in parties really believe that it should just be their members who are voting in those parties. And that, I think, is a is fair enough. People can, can believe what they want to believe. But the fact of the matter is, is that since these are taxpayer-funded elections um, and our, our democracy is best served when more people participate, we're really hoping that the legislators will listen to their constituents um, and, and do the right thing. And and. You know, this, this seems a bit inevitable. Um, again, Maine is in the minority of states that, that don't have open primaries already, some sort of open primaries. And so we're, we're, just, we're just hoping that it happens sooner rather than later. And, and we're grateful for the legislators um, and for the voters, for that matter, who are already showing leadership on this issue. 
Great. Thanks. So, um, Dennis, you're, you've been a, a member, as we said, of the Democratic Party. What, what advantages do you see to the, to the party system um, as, as you experience it? You probably have some, some negative feelings about um, you know, that as well. But what are the positive aspects of being enrolled and being a participant in a, in a party? Well, certainly it is the uh, support that is offered um, by the party. Mm. Um, I had the distinction, I believe, of uh, in my last two campaigns of receiving the most votes of any Senate mm. uh, elected Senate candidate, uh, the most votes in the state. I didn't realize this until one of my colleagues came up to me and was wondering how I did it. But the the fact of the matter was it wasn't much of my doing, I think, but it was very much the doing of the uh, Hancock County Democratic Committee who really worked on my behalf, and that was a testimony to their efforts. Uh, so that's how they can help. I, I just want to add just one thing that Caitlin said about what can people do or what have we done to get the word out about this, and she mentioned letters to the editor, and I'm reminded that just recently – the most former senator from Hancock County, Senator Brian Langley, and I co-authored a letter which will should appear in the um, local paper, perhaps the Ellsworth American, uh, in the next issue. So those are the kinds of things that can be done. And, and, and I note also that um, the Ellsworth American has come out with an editorial, and maybe in last week or the week before edition, um, supporting this whole concept. Mm -hmm. And there was another article in the Ellsworth American, I think. <laughs> Might be by a columnist named Jill Goldthwait. Oh, that's the one. Excuse <laughs> me. Yes, I couldn't remember. You know, one of the challenges of all of this is, is to the extent that this has to happen through statute, there are some independents in the main house now, um, and they're a, a thoughtful and fascinating bunch, I might add. But this is all controlled by the parties. So if the parties don't favor this kind of change – that change has to happen in a context that they control. Mm -hmm. So it's very and, – and there have been some party members who have been great about expanding access to the opportunity for independents to be ballot clerks at their local elections. Uh, the language has changed from when you uh, appoint a commission in Augusta. It usually says three seats go to the majority party, three seats go to the minority party, two are nominated. So there wasn't – it wasn't like an independent had to be there, but they didn't even have the opportunity mm. to participate in those things because that is all controlled by the parties. Mm. So – convincing or persuading the parties that this will be good for them as well is a very important part of this mm -hmm. work. Caitlin, um, back to you for any last words before we let you go. Um, what would you say to, to listeners? And, and we our listeners range from, from uh, down to Jonesport, probably all the way to Walderboro, um, and inland to uh, Skowhegan and, and, and Bangor. What would you say to listeners from that geographic area? I would just say say thank you, and if you're you are in the eighty percent of folks who support this effort, and I suspect many of many of them are, I really encourage um, your listeners to to go onto our website, uh, see how they might help or might get involved, because we really we this this takes this takes everybody to help make it happen. Um, it, it is a legislative campaign. The legislators need to hear from their constituents and need to see that this is in fact something that Maine voters want. So thank you so much for, for having me on. And again, people can visit www.openprimariesmaine.com to, to find out more information. 
Thanks so much for being with us this morning, Caitlin. Caitlin LaCase, the campaign manager for Open Primaries, Maine. You are tuned to WERU and Talk of the Towns this morning. Our question, and now we're going to open up our phone lines, is it time to open up Maine's primary process to unenrolled voters? You can call at 1-866-625-9378 and register your opinion or ask questions of our guests here in the studio, former State Senator Jill Goldthwaite, um, who ran and um, served as an independent, and Dennis Damon, former State Senator, um, who ran an, as, a de- as a Democrat. Uh, give us a call if you've got your thoughts or your questions, your experience, one 625 We should say that uh, we did reach out to Senator Brian Langley, and he just wasn't able to attend, but he would have been here in, in, exactly. the, in the studio talking exactly. about these issues. Issues. Um, we did uh, try to make sure that, that both parties and, and independent were represented in our in our guests. It was um, his schedule, I think, that yes, didn't allow yeah, it. Yeah. So um, the uh, the the process um, we've we've seen these kinds of initiatives um, before. Um, Maine has got a pretty good track record, perhaps except for this, in terms of, of making changes, both for uh, publicly funded uh, uh, elections and also the the. Uh, um, Ranked choice voting. Um, how would you say <laughs> this r- rates as a as a, a new reform? Is it is that is this as important as as those other two? Um, or what other things ought we be considering as a, as election reform? Well, I do think it's an important election reform, and I do think that it will um, provide the opportunity for more people to cast a vote and and if in our democracy it's important to have participation Mm -hmm. and we're constantly in our elections uh, urging people to come out and vote uh, to take part in the democratic process Um, this will I think do that it will it will have greater participation and it also can have an impact I believe in terms to the general election whereby the candidates that we're voting for have a broader appeal. Um, I don't need to say that they're more centrist, although that's where I think I am, but mm. but they, uh, they have a broader appeal to a greater number of voters, which I think in turn will have a greater impact on the people who turn out. That's part of our right. democracy. That's what um, my party in particular has been advocating, get people out to vote. I'm sure that the Republican Party has done the same thing. And now this is an opportunity where I think that can happen. This is uh, has a certain sense of inevitability to me because uh, the ranks of the unenrolled are growing slowly but surely over time. Um, in half of the states, independents represent more voters than either one or sometimes both parties. In two states, Alaska and Massachusetts, over 50% of registered voters are unenrolled voters. So it seems to me that this is coming. It's just a matter of the reality catching up to the movement that that is happening. As I was sort of looking online at who's doing what with open primaries, uh, New Mexico, Oregon, Florida, Pennsylvania, New York, Arizona, Delaware, all have active organized groups working toward open primaries. One of the complications is that the vocabulary changes and there are closed and open and partially closed and partially open, it gets confusing. This change in LD211 
proposes the simplest, most basic change, and that is allowing unenrolled voters to cast a vote in one primary without registering in a party. There are all kinds of other types. Some of them get rather complicated. This is a simple, basic change that reflects actually what registered voters are indicating, which is a support for being an independent or an unenrolled voter. So you've heard um, our guests, uh, Dennis Damon and Jill Goldthwaite, express their opinion. What's yours? 1-866-625-9378. We do have a, a, a call. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for the show. Uh, you've given me one more good reason to check out the uh, Ellsworth American. Uh, <laughs> Great. <laughs> which I have been sadly remiss in, I will confess. But... but um, uh, more and more, it seems like a, a really worthwhile uh, way to figure out what's going on around here. And uh, I, myself, I just want to express an opinion. It's not going to be uh, probably com- uh, uh, compelling to the parties in their uh, uh, movement toward uh, supporting this uh, measure. Uh, but to me, it seems that the time for party politics has come and gone, pretty much. Uh, I saw this happen as I watched the uh, Democratic Party uh, weigh their support uh, uh, between the two uh, recent contenders for the presidency. And I'm not sure it was uh, equal support to all uh, contenders in the primaries. Uh, and I, I'm quite upset about that uh, as a sometime Democrat. Um, I think it caused me to uh, change my affiliation to independent. As a matter of fact, uh, the fallout that I witnessed from the, uh, impartial, from the impartiality of the party in supporting all contenders uh, for the primary race. Uh, uh, party politics obliterates distinctions, uh, very important distinctions between individuals. Uh, it, it tends to cause an individual to, uh, uh, you know, like uh, knuckle under and step up to the plate and support the party so that the party can support the individual. And I think this is a very dangerous tendency. If anyone wants a much more philosophical discussion of the issue, I I. I uh, I encourage them to read uh, Simone Weil, Weil, I don't know how you pronounce her name, W-E-I-L, she's a French uh, politician and philosopher who wrote a wonderful book called, uh, I believe, Against Party Politics. Uh, It's one of her last works, and she argues very compellingly uh, against party politics uh, from the Gaullist perspective of France. uh, who was a populist candidate who ran without party support and did very, very well, thank you, uh, for a while at least. Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks for the discussion and thanks for the chance to call in. Thank you uh, so much. Stay on the line or... No, we'll let you go because there may be others who are calling in. But thanks Good. so much for your, okay. your thoughts um, this morning. one 625 What are your views about opening Maine's primary election process? One of the, the points that um, you and, and others perhaps have made is this, this notion that um, uh, the parties 
and the primaries seem to move people to the to the edges, <laughs> to the the far edges. So, so um, the most partisan of uh, politicians get support and are engaged. The middle doesn't seem to be engaged, and and many times um, unenrolled voters aren't part of that process. So, Dennis, you said that this might bring the the process back to the center in some way. Well, I do think it can. But I was uh, listening to I believe the caller's name was David. Yes. Um, and he talked about the um, the party politics having come and gone because uh, one of the reasons that he cited was that there was a a large support uh, in his party, I believe it was a Democratic party, for a candidate, but the party didn't seem to be supporting yes. that candidate. And so that the party then is making the choice of who's uh, well, seemingly, seemingly making yep. the choice yep. of who's moving forward. And that doesn't, it didn't strike David well. It doesn't strike a lot of people well. So the 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 other part that you talk about is the, the shifting towards the so-called edges uh, of the party spectrum. spectrum. Right. Thank you. Um, those people become very, very engaged. Mm. I would that everyone was that <laughs> engaged and we'd have a real good system. Sure. Democracy would be boiling. Yeah. Uh, now the that particular group, energized and whatever ever, is oftentimes putting a candidate that has when you think of it in terms of the numbers of the electorate, it has very that candidate oftentimes has very small support. I, I was talking with Jill about this and perhaps you could cite some of the numbers in terms of the percentage of the of we know that the Democrats make up a certain percentage somewhere around thirty two or three. The Republicans registered I'm talking about make another lesser percentage and that the unenrolled make even mm-hmm. a bigger percentage. But when you go to the primaries, that thirty five percent thirty three percent of the electorate, let's say in the Democrat Party, perhaps only I don't know what the numbers are, but let's say it's even ten percent, but I think it's probably lower than that. And then if there's two or three candidates on the ballot, the one that gets the most votes is probably put on the ballot by Three, four percent. I think those numbers are somewhat right. Yeah, if you take um, the number of voters enrolled in either party uh, times turnout times the number of candidates, you end up with that nominee in the general election receiving probably less than five percent of votes um, or, or of the electorate voting to nominate that candidate. And because the more active party members tend to be the more ideological members, those candidates often represent the extremes of their party philosophy rather than the center. And most of us in the outside world are centery people. And um, it, it means that we have two candidates, neither of whom is particularly palatable to the, the core center of voters. And that's a dilemma. So you end up picking what you think is the least worst rather than being able to be enthusiastic about a candidate. Or, or there is, and now that you're talking about the general election, and so you have two candidates and you, 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 you're forced to pick the least worst, mm. whatever. Mm. Uh, but now there might be another candidate who is also qualified for that, who isn't a member of the political party. And so mm-hmm. that even uh, throws it into more of a topsy and turvy. Um, so I think that this way of looking at the primaries and selecting a candidate that has more electability will will transfer out into that general election so we have a candidate. 
So what does the present system do to um, the legislative process? Both of you served perhaps in, in, uh, in, in times when things weren't as partisan as they are now. Um, is, that, is that a fair statement? I think it is a fair statement. Um, and I, frankly, when I was elected to the Senate, we had had one other independent senator in Maine's history, as far as I know, and that was a person who was elected from, I believe it was the Democratic Party, and dropped his affiliation. So I was the first person elected as an independent. And basically, they weren't quite sure what to do with me. <laughs> Where do you get your mail? Where do you put your coat? Because it's all based on a partisan structure of office space, et cetera. I must say that because Maine is Maine, I think that my colleagues in the Senate and the leadership of the Senate really did their best to make it a productive experience for me, make it possible to have the resources to do my job, et cetera. Um, but I, I think it was in, in many ways lucky that there was not a system as to how to deal with an independent and that we just had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, people of good faith managed to do that and that worked. But it seems like if, if the most um, extreme candidates from each party are elected and there's no independent running who might be a centrist, um, it means that when you get to the legislative process, um, you're dealing with the extremes rather than the, than the, the center. We certainly yes. see that at the national level. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to give a shout out to the previous Senate President, Mike Thibodeau, who um, the Republicans had control of the Senate. I think he was exceptionally able as a leader who was extremely thoughtful, treated the minority with respect, involved them in decision-making, and was acknowledged by his colleagues for being a standout in mm -hmm. that way. And he's not the only one who has attempted to do that, but one could certainly point out members of leadership who were the opposite and were um, really kind of a my way or the highway leaders. And it, it can bring, as we have seen recently at the federal level, it can bring the whole place to a standstill. Because as is, uh, you know, I think when uh, Senator George Mitchell, uh, Senator Bill Cohen, Bill Bradley from New Jersey, pretty much all said the same thing when they left their public service. You can't get anything done anymore because nobody wants to compromise. And, and that was years ago. And Olympia said that very same yes. thing, too. Mm. Yes. Mm. Um, we have a question um, to, to answer, but I'll first list our phone number one more time because our listeners probably have some thoughts or at least some questions about um, whether it's time to open up the main primary process to unenrolled voters. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. So the question is, would unenrolled voters get to vote in both primaries or would they have to pick one? They would have to pick one. Okay. Yes. So at the time of the primary, you go into the you, presumably you'd go into your um, polling place right. and you'd say um, for this election, I'm going to um, enroll as a Democrat mm -hmm. or as a Republican. Um, but as soon as you vote, that enrollment so you don't You, you don't, don't enroll. even have you to enroll. You just, you just say, okay. I'm registered as an independent. I would like the ballot for the Republican Party, please. And then I cast my vote right. for that or for the And Democratic you can't go vote. back and ask for, because your, your name is going to be recorded. You it's can't. That's right. Can't, yeah. you can't you Any twice. more than you could go in and vote twice for the same party. Right. Yeah. Right. You're on the voter rolls. Sure. And so I'm, I'm an independent. I'm going in, and now I'd like to have the ballot for one of those parties. Great, great question. And um, maybe you've got a question as well. Give us a call, 1-866-625-9378. So what haven't we talked about that's uh, good for, um, good well, for I, government? I, I will say that um, 
there are a number of efforts around the country, as I said, to address the situation. There have been citizen lawsuits making the same claim about the fairness that we are paying for elections in which we're not allowed to participate. Right now in the state of New Mexico, there is a bill that says the parties may choose closed or open primaries. If they choose closed primaries, they pay for them. Hmm. And that bill just passed one of its first legislative tests. So I'm curious to follow along with that and see what, what the ultimate outcome is. The citizen suits based on the paying for the election issue have so far had very limited success. And it's a legal argument that I don't pretend to understand or be able to represent too well. But basically, um, there is support in the courts for the elections being conducted by a secretary of state's office. They know what they're doing. They know the legalities. They have ballot security. Uh, There are a lot of reasons why we would like to leave the primaries in the hands of the people who do that for Mm, a living. mm. And uh, that has been used as a reason to say the parties may control how they want their primaries to operate, but the state will pay for them. Mm. So we we already have a sense that there are um, dark deeds done in dark rooms, and and if we allowed the the parties to control and run the primaries, there would be suspicion (laughs) that that would be the case. Well, and there's a bill in this year to um, permanently have presidential primaries rather than caucuses in Maine, and one of the reasons for that was because at the previous caucuses, the turnout was so enormous that people end up waiting in lines for long times, going home without voting. Some people thought that their ballots hadn't been counted. So it is a less uh, transparent process and one that is managed in large degree by volunteers, well-meaning, trying their best. But uh, things can happen in that setting, which are much less likely to happen in a state-funded, secretary of state-operated election. Mm. And I think that the operations can be inconsistent from one caucus to the other. Sure. Let's take a a phone call from Whitney in Brooksville. Go ahead with your comment or question, please. Yeah, hi. Thanks for the show. And um, my question has to do... I haven't heard a mention of ranked choice voting yet. And um, I've been, I guess, a cautious supporter of that. And... um, Wondering how much impact, what if it would have any negative impact? Haven't seen any yet. Um, as an independent, speaking as an independent, do you have any positions uh, that just make sure that you coordinate with ranked choice voting, or um, and and does the uh, League of Women Voters, which has been the prime mover on that, um, support this uh, uh, law that you're suggesting? Thanks. Thank you for your question. I can tell you for one thing that the league is going to have a WERU show in one week or two. I'm not Ron scrounging through his papers to find out, Uh, but that would be a great question for them. Uh, Ranked choice voting, in my opinion, uh, any anything new is going to have its challenges, but I think it worked well. The importance to me of ranked choice voting is that it gets us closer to general elections with fewer candidates. When you have a general election with three, four, five, or more candidates, um, all kinds of strange mathematics can happen, uh, and you end up with a person who is elected by dint of fewer than a majority vote. Ranked choice voting improves that situation, and I'm not sure that it would have any particular impact on... Uh, or relationship to the open primary proposal in LD211. So if 
we, if we have open primaries as proposed by LD211, um, it wouldn't necessarily, it, it won't change anything to do with right. um, rank choice voting. Um, and again, the uh, the show that Jill uh, referenced is is a show uh, next Friday, February 15th, and our wonderful uh, colleague Ann Luther um, is the host of, of D- uh, Democracy Forum, and they have a, a program called The Free Press and a Functioning Democracy. So be sure and tune into that. And that's coordinated with a, um, a program in Ellsworth on March 2nd at the Moore Community Center from 2 to 4, and um, that's a uh, a, a panel discussion on the free press and John Christie, a, a veteran journalist and co-founder of the Maine Center for Public Interest will be there along with Urban Gratz of Maine, uh, Maine Public Radio's uh, host of Morning Edition, Liz Graves, the managing editor of the Mount Desert Islander, and uh, Joseph Reisert, who is a professor of American constitutional law at Colby. So that's a, a forum on, on uh, the role of the free press um, on March 2nd and then next Friday uh, 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 Democracy Forum with Ann Luther talks about the role of the free press as well. But th- you could certainly ask that question. Um, yes, and I'll let uh, Whitney and other listeners know that the League on the main League of Women Voters website, they have a process called consensus questions where they do deep research into political issues that we're discussing. Open primaries is one of them. There is a huge section. There's a, a study report on open primaries. It is really data-rich. It lays out all the pros and cons. It's really a remarkable document, and I highly recommend it. You can find it on their website. Great. one 625 9378 Are there listeners out there but from towns other than Brooksville this morning? <laughs> uh, we'll wake them up and see if they have questions or comments about the, the notion of opening Maine's primary process uh, up to unenrolled voters. Um, uh, Ron, yeah. might I just... Um, Jill had mentioned that there are uh, some various uh, iterations of open primaries around the country, and and one of the fellows that I was talking to um, in the area uh, about this whole concept of our ocean, uh, our open primaries, had mentioned that in some states, and I think he said California, um, the two top vote getters, mm-hmm. would, no matter what party, mm-hmm. would go on to be in the general election. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he favored. Um, I'm this to me, uh, the the one that we're talking about here today seems to be the simplest, the easiest, uh, the one that's easiest to understand, the one that's easiest to implement, uh, the one that, in spite of what some people might fear, the one that is uh, has less opportunity for mm, devilry. Uh, in terms of getting that vast number of unenrolled voters uh, in their unenrolled voter caucus to have some sense that they can change the election. I, I don't see that happening. Mm. Um, and so this is this is what we have. This is before us, and I think this is the easiest to implement. And I wouldn't want to, um, because there is something else out there, have somebody not support mm. this because mm. this might be mm. something that is always that fear. There is another bill in front of the legislature now yes, that would is. provide for one of those top two primaries. Um, frankly, there are components of that bill that despite reading it over and over, I, I simply cannot understand. But uh, it does get to those to a top two general election and would mean that potentially uh, two members of the same party could be the candidates in the general election. Yeah. 
I my gut says to me that I'm not sure if Maine is ready for that. They're ready for the fairness question. They're ready for allowing uh, unenrolled voters to vote in the primaries, but I am not sure that as a state we're ready for a top two primary. And, and I believe there are nuances in the language of that other bill to which you refer that um, a little unsettling to me in terms doesn't yeah. it revoke uh, something that we've already done? Uh, well, yes, but that's a little more complicated yeah. than, yeah. But there are a number of states, it's not just California anymore, that have top two primaries, certainly not the majority, but um, it, it's it's another thing that I think will be coming back around in the future. Mm. Again, the, the notion of, of uh, if the parties control the process, the state um, funds and operates the process along with the, with the towns. Um, what, Dennis, as a party member, what could you see good happening to the Democratic Party as a result of this, this process? Could you imagine that voters who get involved in, in the primary process then decide that they really like a Democratic candidate and that decide, oh, I'm going to support that one and I'm going to actually get enrolled in, 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 in party politics and become a Democrat? I think that the positive that comes out of this, which is greater participation, um, uh, does have a, a positive effect, or a potentially a positive effect on the Democratic Party as it could right. on the Republican right. Party. Um, I don't see it as a um, um, detriment uh, to either. I don't see it as a, a plan to kill political parties in spite of what David might want to sure. do in terms of sure. their, their time having come and gone. Uh, I think it makes the process, and I think it makes democracy uh, stronger when you can have all of that participation. And I really think that this this will promote that kind of participation, that kind of energy, which is what we need from our uh, electorate. one 9378 We have time for one or two uh, short phone calls. Uh, give us a call to talk about um, opening up Maine's primary process to unenrolled voters. Other, yeah, Jill? One other proposal that I've just been reading about is to have uh, basically an unenrolled primary in which any candidate who was not a member of a party uh, could go through the same primary process and any unenrolled voter could vote in that primary so that a general election ballot would have the um, qualified party members as well as one unenrolled candidate. Uh, there is some appeal in that it would limit the um, unenrolled candidates to one rather than now, if you get your signatures, everybody's on the ballot. Um, but on the other hand, I, I'm not yet persuaded that that solves the problem because um, I, I am not sure that too many unenrolled candidates have the strength to be able to run through that entire process. How would it be funded? Um, but it is out there as a possibility. Mm. Because the, what's being proposed really doesn't um, help unenrolled candidates um, from getting before the voters um, at that time right. in the June process. And not There's, being a party, how would you, how right. would you affect that? Sure. Who, who, would, uh, who would put that primary on? Sure. So, again, I've asked uh, Dennis as a party member, um, you believe this is good for um, all of the unenrolled voters in the state, this, this notion of, of open primaries. I do believe it is, and I really think that it's good for the parties. I mean, the, uh, it, it makes the parties sound a bit... Well, no, paranoid might be too strong a word, but anxious about the implications of letting their fellow citizens vote. And I don't think that's a good look for the parties. So I think for the parties to welcome independence and feel confident that they have candidates who will appeal 
to at least some of those voters, I think that's a very positive thing for the parties. Right. Well, again, uh, the, the trends are that there are more people unenrolled than, than party members, and um, anything that any party can do to encourage participation may have some spinoff effect sure. for their own membership, and exactly. that, that, that can be good. And again, to return to, to the question of, of uh, good governance, um, this is part of a number of things, reforms that have been um, entertained in some past in the, in the last few years. Um, what's your hope for good governance in, in the state of Maine and, and elsewhere what, as we begin to wrap up the, the hour? Um, what, what, what are some of your fondest hopes? You, remember, you mentioned uh, candidates who have, have left the scene recently and they said they've been frustrated by, by some of the things. What would you like to see um, in, in Maine's elect, uh, legislative process as a result of, of this and other reforms? Jill? I think the other major reform, and there are bills to address or attempt to address this, is money in politics. And and there is a lot of conversation about, you know, our referenda, which we are quite fond of the right to hold those on that there are accusations that they're funded by out of state money and big corporations. And how much of that is true? I don't know. But I do think that uh, that is the next big issue that must be tackled is the amount of money that is spent on elections is obscene. Um, and would I run now thinking I have to raise, you know, like six-figure money, uh, I, I'm still convinced that in Maine, if you are out and about in your district and diligent about that, that can overcome uh, funding. But on the other hand, if your opponent's up on TV making accusations about you, you have to respond somehow, and that takes a lot of money. So mm -hmm. that, to me, is the next big step in the process is uh, uh, funding reform for mm -hmm. elections. Dennis? That, that money change has changed... Uh, in the last few years in particular. Uh, neither Jill nor I faced those kinds of uh, assaults with the money thing. But the other thing that I uh, would love to see be changed, and I think some of these reforms, whether they be ranked choice voting or open primaries, uh, may have an effect on this, and that is that the fact that ideologies have, have trumped uh, civility. Mm. Uh, in our discussions in the legislature and in politics. And until we can get to the piece where we can respect one another, um, allow for voices and have reasonable debate and a conclusion um, without being incivil, mm. Um, mm. then I think the process uh, would be better if mm. that were to happen. Mm. I'll put in a quick plug for a makeshift coffee house happening in Ellsworth on Sunday at 2.30 on the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. Great. We've come to the end of the hour. Uh, thanks to both of you for helping with uh, this question of Maine's primary process and opening that perhaps through LD211 to unenrolled voters. Uh, be sure and join us uh, from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of, this, uh, of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for future topics, uh, please email us at news at weru.org. Tune into our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of Humane Sea Grant, 10 to 11, on the fourth Friday of each month. 
And as we said, um, next week, um, Friday, the Democracy Forum. Our theme music is a medley from Karanak on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks to our, again to our guests, Caitlin LaCase, uh, campaign manager for Open Primaries, Maine, Jill Goldthwaite, former state senator uh, running as an independent, and Dennis Damon, former state senator as a Democrat. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And sto- stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from...